Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Te Atara, where I'm recording today. Oh, so you're moving. That's what you've been doing this week. And I'm needlessly reorganizing. That's what I've been doing this week. I appreciate that you're joining me in the uh, <laughs> horror of moving things. I just don't understand how I have so much stuff. Same. What I've realized is that because I'm such a perfectionist and I grew up as like a massive perfectionist and something that it's always been, I have a habit of like putting things in boxes and keeping them in their boxes and then putting them in a cupboard and never touching them. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that in my new house. Yay. What is the point of having it in a cupboard? And I was taking stuff out of the cupboards being like, oh yeah, I own this. And I open it and it has batteries in it probably from like 20 years ago. So you can imagine how that's gone. Oh my gosh. And I'm just like, why do I have these things? I love them, but I don't use them or enjoy them. So what is the point of them? So that's going to be my new thing. I'm going to put all my things out. I love that. Look, I did that a few years ago. I went through and I had the back of our cupboard was full of like wedding gifts. And there was this massive bowl that I was like, oh, it's really precious. But then I'm like, why on earth am I not using it? So it's now a fruit bowl. Oh, nice. So do you want to tell me about what exciting things you've been up to this week? What's sparked joy in your life? Last night I baked some amazing teeny tiny cookies. And I want to show you how little they are. Look at this. Oh, they are tiny. They're so delightful. Small. And they're like tiny mini chocolate chips. And they have little really finely chopped up walnuts. And they're really yummy. And I got the recipe from 101 Cookbooks. And Yum. I just made it slightly less healthy because she's pretty healthy. So, I mean, they have nuts and oats in them. So they're good, right? Hmm. Um, and then this week I've been reading Ocean Vuong's amazing book on Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous. And it's really hard to read, so I had to read it all in one sitting because it's just, like, a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but there's one really beautiful quote. Like, I loved it so much I actually went and wrote it down. Mm -hmm. uh, the quote is, To be a monster is to be a hybrid signal, a lighthouse, both shelter and warning at once. Oh, wow. I wonder if that applies to me as a woman in a space for a man. I wonder if that applies to Puck as a woman in a man's space. Yeah. I wonder if that applies to like Sean and Cor being so much the same, but yet Cor is really a water horse out of water and Sean's kind of a boy with one foot in the sea. So yeah, that's really interesting. So that, that was, was lovely. Yeah. I, it's a really good book. Like it's heavy, but good. And I have forgotten what my moment was. I'm sure it was lovely. <laughs> oh yes okay my sister's getting married today that is my moment congratulations to jamie and to zach she's my baby sister she's 14 years younger than me and it just broke my heart to leave her and go away to uni and sometimes i forget that my sisters have like grown up while i've been away living my life and having my own family and kids you were doing your own growing up and they were growing up 
What was your week like? Tell me about your meals and moments. Yeah, so I've had a crazy week. Traveled for work really unexpectedly and yeah, just had I a lot of that. admin. Yeah, I went to Christchurch and it was 29 degrees and sunny. And after the horrible, horrible summer we've been having in Wellington so far, it was just so nice to sit in the sun and be warm for mm. like the first time in months. Um, on Thursday night, I decided to make some cookies for work and they were festive and I made them with red and green M&Ms and everyone was obsessed with them. So like everyone was coming down to our floor to have them and everyone kept going on and on about them and be like, are there any more and can you make us some more? And so that's just really lovely when people enjoy the things that you make. Yeah. And they are from Half Baked Harvest, who I highly recommend for all delicious baking things. So. Um, I went to see Misbehaviour with a friend, so we went to the cinema. It's about the women's liberation movement disrupting the 1970s or 1970 Miss World pageant. So they staged this protest because they were like, it's the objectification of women and all these things. And it's not about the people who take part. It's about, you know, the patriarchy pitting women against each other. And it was really good. I really enjoyed it. You know, it's interesting. Like, I thought the film did a really good job because the 1970 Miss World is also the first one that was won by a black woman. Oh. So this was the first time that it happened. And so there's this idea of, you know, you've got all these women's liberation people being like, this is anti-woman. And then also the woman who won it being like, but I am also inspiring people who look like me, kids who look like me to know that they can achieve things and have a seat at the table. Some intersectionality. Yeah. And I thought it was handled really well. And it was good that they had those conversations and you can see how, you know, for some people, your oppression looks very different to someone else's oppression, like, and how those things work together. Absolutely. But it ends on this black screen basically you know text on it that tells you what has happened to all the women because it's obviously a real a true story so they give you an update on what all the women have done the final screen is just the screen that says the fight to dismantle the patriarchy is ongoing (laughs) it is indeed but anyway so that was a fun little outing and yeah I think my best moment is this like just knowing today that I had this time set aside with you to record you know everything is an upheaval and like I said to you before I'm really influenced by my environment so just looking around here now I can see like six boxes and their books stacked everywhere Mm. and it really stresses me out and I just want to be done. So knowing that I have this moment with you is just really calming and delightful and I look forward to next week when I will be recording this at my new house. I am excited. It's going to be really great. I really like these times too. I like that a lot of our good moments are these days because I look forward to them too. They're lovely. So this week we did uh, very heavy topics, chapters 33 to 40, through loneliness and desperation. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Boy, was it a lot for you? Yeah, I found it really intense. I only got to it kind of like this morning and I just found it really I don't know it was like hair raising you know like the hairs on my arms were standing up at some points and I was just like oh it's really getting to me it's very visceral you know it's very yeah yeah there was a bit of horror movie happening the yeah. tension was just incredible and I was I was reading it as a reader and then I was also like the second time I went through I'm like how is she making it so tense as a writer I was going through like okay okay so this is how she's doing it this is how she's building it like I took a clinical approach <laughs> to that scene because I feel like my tense moments are just like, what? Huh? It happened? Oh, let's get into the deeply <laughs> emotional aftermath. That was probably my favorite part, even though it was the hardest to read. Even the scene where, you know, Puck and Sean are on the cliff and they're having this kind of like, ooh, romantic moment. Even that was super atmospheric. And I was like, really like feeling it. I felt it like in yes. my bones. Yeah, me too. Like she already knows him so well that she can understand what he's not saying. And I was like, mm. you guys are vibing. <laughs> vibing so hard. 
All right. You kick us off. Chapter 33, Sean. Sean and George Holly run a gross errand while discouraging any cattle that wash up during the incoming storm to steal well clear of the Malvern stables. George has a lot to say about both Puck and Benjamin Malvern. Chapter 34, Puck. Gabe leaves mass. Puck goes to watch the riders with Sean and they discuss what they see. Chapter 35, Sean asks to buy core. Malvin refuses. Sean plays his hand. Chapter 36, Puck is teased by some bros after training on the cliffs, but when she defends Dove and shouts for room, she is embarrassed that they forced her hand. Chapter 37, Puck. The approaching storm brings a water horse to the barn where Puck and Finn are hanging out. Puffin distracts the Kapolishka and the Connollys manage to get away safely. Tommy Falk and Gabe take everyone to the Grattans. Chapter 38, Puck. At the Grattans, Puck realizes Gabe has replaced their family with this one. They have to stay while the storm runs its course. Puck and Gabe have a meaningful discussion. Chapter 39, Sean. Sean tends the horses during the storm. He and Malvard remain at stalemate. Chapter 40, Puck. Puck and Peg Grattan have a chat. The Connollys get to go home, and Puffin is alive, but she is missing her tail. Poor Puffin. Poor Puffin! But I am so glad she's alive. The hero we need is Puffin. And if she hadn't come along, who knows what would have happened? Like, she distracted that murder horse. <laughs> she saved their lives. Yeah. Four for you, Puffin the barn cat. <laughs> So I made you pick loneliness this week because I did the reading a little bit ahead of time. Yes, well, I left it way too late as I was reading it <laughs> at like 3.30am this morning and then again when I woke up again at like 7. I'm sorry. Um, no, it's absolutely fine. I found it quite moving, the idea of loneliness. And I think because there was a lot of moments in there where I kind of recognised myself in the text in a mm. way, not through the experiences that people are having, but just through kind of... I think there's a universal nature to loneliness. You know, there are these moments where you're like, oh, I remember when I felt like that or I had yeah. a moment like that. And so, yeah, I found that really meaningful. Like you can think of loneliness as being sad because you're on your own and you don't have anyone around you or you don't have friends or family. But it's also like feeling you're on your own in something. So I think that solitary nature is something that Puck feels a lot. You know, she's alone in the sense that she's riding a real horse mm. and she's a girl in this race that no one wants a girl in. So she's had she has this very unique experience that sets her aside. And also the quality of a place is being lonely. So if we think of yeah. something being remote and isolated, well, Thisbe, I mean, is a lonely place. It super is. Yeah. A lot of the loneliness came through for me, but to me, it felt like a... Like it was a lead up to the action. Um, and the action for me was always the desperation, creating the recklessness. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I think I was looking more for the action. And that's why I was like, I just see desperation everywhere. Like, definitely a lot of desperation, <laughs> a lot yeah. of desperate actions being taken. I think the thing that struck me right away was just the section that we read opens with Sean's chapter where he describes the island. So this is the day after the festival. If you go for a walk on New Year's Day, it tends to be like very quiet because everyone's been up late and so that no one is out early and there's like this new this this new quality to the air because it's New Year's Day and all these things and I felt that very much in Sean's bit here like he describes the island as ghostly quiet and the stables are still and the roads are silent and and it just reminded me of the moments in my life when I felt particularly lonely and often what I do is I go for walks and I remember in London you know I'd go for these walks along the river and I would just be you know homesick but also like in this weird 
very messed up unrequited romance that was Mm. doing my head in and so like that loneliness of the quality of the walk where you're like everything feels a bit other and it's quiet and it's morning and you're walking because you have to keep walking and I I don't know that really came through for me in this chapter this the isolation of Thisbe when you think of it as this island that is like surrounded by these crazy seas Mm. and stormy and you get trapped there if you don't leave before you know winter starts and it is a very isolating place and it seems like no one really lives close unless they live in town. Yeah, like everyone's quite spread out, right? And also there's very much this push that people leave for the mainland. Like that's very lonely, this idea that people leave and if they can't hack it on Thisbe and what they can't hack is the isolation, right? I think a lot about like whether or not there's a place I could go that would be like Thisbe because I kind of want to feel mm. that isolation. I kind of want to feel that aloneness, that limitation of my ability to just go and do because I really can just go and do pretty much anything where I am right now I'm at the top end of a city that's really full of everything Hmm. there's just so much opportunity to go and do and learn and find myself in other locales I don't have that limitation yeah and you can see how that would be weary as well like wearing on you like I remember when I moved from London to Perth And I found that quite difficult because in London, you know, I would get things delivered the same day and Mm. I'd get all these things delivered from ASOS and try them on in the work bathroom and have them returned by the end of the day. Like it was like this amazing service. And then in Perth, it was like seven day delivery. And then it will take two weeks because it has to come over the Nullarbor. And it was just like so it's such an isolated city, even though it's a city. And I was just Mm. after being in London and being so metropolitan and I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. And that's what loneliness really is. It's that lack of connection, right? And I think there's something in Thisbe as well, you know, Sean talks about the ruins of the walls that predate anyone who's alive on Thisbe. And we've just Mm. spoken before about the stables and things. There's this like ancient memory that predates current inhabitants. And that's quite isolating as well. It's like they're linked to a past that has very specific goals for them. And if you don't follow or conform to that, whether or not you intend to, it can be very hard to live there. Mm. That's a good way of putting it, actually. And that's why, you know, we see Gabe struggle, right? Because he does not have those goals. And when he has that conversation with Puck, she really struggles because she's like, everything he's describing is everything I love about Thisbe. Except the fish. (laughs) Fair enough, too. (laughs) It was really difficult for me to read that because this is the point where Gabe turns for me. Mm. Every time I read this book, I just am so furious and annoyed and unhappy with Gabe. And then this conversation happens and I'm like, oh, it me. (laughs) Because I have done this. I have left Mm. a home that I loved but just couldn't stay in. I've left people that I loved and felt an obligation to stay and look after, but I had to go. And you do betray them by doing that, even if Mm. they are able to understand that it's for your betterment or whatever. When you have a family that's like the Connollys, there's no getting out of that family without basically like cutting an umbilical cord you didn't even know was there. Yeah. I really felt for Gabe and I was just like, oh man, I really didn't want to be giving him even an inch. But it's because he's finally communicating, right? He's finally having a conversation with Puck and so therefore we can sympathize with him, whereas up to this point he's just been... A pain. Yeah. (laughs) I was trying to think of a polite word. I'm like, oh no. 
<laughs> a PG word. Yes, he's been not pleasant to be around and not around. Yeah, it's just absent, right? And that's, I think, where I saw loneliness in this chapter as well for Pa was Gabe not being present makes her feel lonely in her family unit. I think seeing Gabe interact with his friends and Pig and like being feeling like she's been replaced and that's very lonely. And that one was a hard thing to see because he's so comfortable, right? He's so familiar with mm. this environment. He's like bantering and he knows where things are and that the betrayal of that I can't even imagine. Yeah, that that one really struck me because I kept thinking. Why why is he so much happier there? Mm. And he does talk about it a little bit. There's something about the house he grew up in that it's a burden to him. And I think staying there just reminds him of how much it's not his and how much it's mm. not theirs. It belongs to Benjamin Malvern. And I wondered why he had to go seeking this outside. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm a lazy creature, but I just feel like if you've got this family right in front of you, wouldn't you do what you could to strengthen and deepen those ties? Yeah, I mean, a loving family as well. You know, people who who want to love you and want you to be a part of their lives. But maybe it's just the pressure of feeling like you have to be a certain kind of way. And maybe he feels like with his friends, he can be himself, but he has to be someone else for his yeah. family. I don't know. Well, you do outgrow who you are. For a while, we would have seen him outgrowing who he was. But with the lack of his parents there to look after his younger siblings, he had to stay and kind of force himself into those two small shoes, so to speak. I have a lot of feelings about Gabe. I really don't want to be a Gabe apologist, but also, like, I get it. Mm, it's a tough thing. I mean, it's never black and white. And even Puck sees that in this in this section. She's starting to, mm. you know, she says, I, f I feel like he's, I've just found out that he's dying from a disease that I've never heard of. But she understands that this is something that she can't understand, but something that he has yeah. to do. And it's not because they're not yeah. enough. It's just because... This is just what he needs to do. And there's nothing she can do to, to fix that. I love that she says, whatever this is, it's pulling on him more than Finn and I can pull to keep him here. Yeah. So she acknowledges that it's like an actual need. It's something he needs to do. It's not just like him being opportunistic. It's like actually for his mental health at this point to get him out of Thisby and working somewhere else. Yeah. I did have a slightly loneliness related thought about Gabe though which is that when he does move away he's always going to be from somewhere else and I don't know if he's really thought about that like it can be as you and I both well know it's really hard mm. to be from somewhere else everywhere you live and even if you've lived somewhere for a long time you're still not all of the place yeah that can be really hard and people are always asking you where are you from you always have to answer that question which for me I find very difficult you like to spin the globe yeah, he's probably not thought about that, right? But maybe he thinks because he's going with his friends that they'll just be their own little unit. Yeah, which I'm wondering if that's true. Because also Beach doesn't seem like a really great friend. Like Tommy's wonderful, but Beach is just kind of like a salted ham. Yeah, he's just kind of along for the ride, really. He doesn't have any of the fierceness of his mother or the affability of his father to make his company seem any sweeter, I think. Maybe I don't know. Maybe he's strong and silent and has a heart of gold. I have no idea. I think it must be nice to have a friend like Gabe who's so handsome and charming that even if you're kind of a lump, he accepts you. That's lovely. Yeah. Apologizing for Gabe yet again. We're just understanding him. And look, if we can't do it here, then where can we, right? Absolutely. Um, I also saw loneliness and Puck's place in the race because of her gender and her horse. Like the confrontation she has with the men on the cliff. You know, mm. she's so alone in that moment and she's so vulnerable. And it just reminded me of like being in a bar and surrounded by like men who think they're very funny, making dumb jokes. And you're or even in a meeting and you're the only woman and you have to put up with men and their jocular jokes. And it's like, yeah, 
And you're just you know? looking for that, like, how do I tactfully escape while not yeah. seeming like the shrew? Yeah, exactly. Because you don't want to draw more attention to yourself. Or be called hysterical <laughs> or be accused of being, like, a killjoy. Mm, too PC. Yeah. And that's just what that moment reminded me of. Like, she's trying to extricate herself, but it's like, yeah. And then also because she's even more other because, you know, poor Dove is also the odd one out amongst these terrifying yeah. horses. And, and then that gets brought up again when she has that conversation with pig right because pigs like men don't want you in their race yeah that was an interesting conversation because she said i just want to be left alone and peg was like yeah that's what i'm saying you want to be treated like a man yeah i thought that was another thing that made where i saw loneliness was that puck wasn't sure whether she agreed with pig about whether you know how men see her or whether she wanted men to see her like that or even about sean you know because she talks about that's why men like the sea because you have to be unknowable blah 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 and puck's like i don't think that's why sean kendricks likes the sea yeah i actually like that she kind of copped to liking sean though where she said honestly I didn't know it was the hard path when I started on it. Yeah. That's nonsense. She did know. People were telling her from the beginning, like, not that one. That one has one foot in the sea. Yes. Like, she has been warned so many times. But another place I saw loneliness, speaking of Sean, and this is for both of them, there's this moment where Puck's on the cliff when she's trying to race Dove. And, you know, Dove is like, I don't want to run in this weather. Like, she's afraid of not being able to control Dove. And then later, when Sean takes Core out into the yard to scare off the other Kapal, he's like, this is not the Core I like. He's a monster. I'm scared of him. And I'm like, they're both afraid of their horses, but their horses are also their hearts. Like, these are the things that tethered them to, to the island. And that moment when this is something that you love so much you know you love these horses and you are your identity is so tied to this horse that you love so much in those moments where you where you're scared of them and you feel like you don't know them that is profound loneliness because you're losing a bit of yourself like you know Sean says I don't know who I am without him like he admits that about core so when you suddenly think oh I'm he's a monster like that is that is doing damage to your soul that horrible thing when someone you love says something terrible and you're like oh, I didn't realize you were capable of that. Or Yeah. Yeah. Parents often talk about when their kids say, I hate you for the first time, but I don't know. Uh, Look, I always figured when my kids said it to me, they would just be in a heightened emotional state. And also, like, I know they don't, so I don't take it personally. (laughs) So it never really hit me the same way that it seems to hit every other parent. It was like, my baby said this to me. So I'm just like, yeah, but, like, they're five. They're not fully realized people yet. It's so funny. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, uh... You feel that now, but in five minutes, you'll come in feeling very remorseful and just want me to cuddle with you. And that'll be okay, too. (laughs) You're so accepting of their emotions. I love it. They just have big feelings and they're so little. They can't like their feelings are bigger than they are. It's got to go somewhere. So I want to talk about where I saw loneliness for Sean. Okay, good. Because that means we can also talk about actual snack George Holly because he and George Holly had a scene. Yeah. So I think that is actually where I saw some loneliness. Like the well, him welcoming the company of George Holly to me indicates that they, he was lonely. You know, mm. he's like, maybe having some company wouldn't be totally terrible. I'm like, Sean, it's okay to just admit that you enjoy his company. It's okay to say you have a friend. I like that George Holly like has sussed him out and is just like, now we're mates now. Yeah, I love that. And knowing that he had to push as well because Sean would never do it on his own. Mm. I thought there was loneliness in that as well with Sean not going to mass when apparently everyone else on the island is going to mass. Yeah. And he's just like, you know, I believe what everyone else believes. I just don't believe that you can find it in a building. I'm like, hey, mate, same. 
That is just my entire religious philosophy summed up right there. <laughs> and I found it very interesting, the contrast between him and Puck, with Puck being so much like, ooh, I have to go to confession. I've had enough negative feelings about my brothers that if I died in the next hour, I would definitely go to hell. Yeah. I found it interesting that Puck was going to mass. I don't know why I, that caught me off guard. I thought that, you know, Gabe went with her as well, like with her and Finn. I'm like, hmm, okay, interesting. It seems like one of those towns where it's still, like everything is closed until one o'clock on Sunday because everyone's mm. at church or maybe doesn't open on Sunday at all. Imagine. Apparently that's what Sydney used to be like. I, just the loneliness that Sean has. It's kind of like his identity in a way. Like he really trades yeah. on this mysterious yeah. loner dude thing. Mm -hmm. But I feel like he's finally starting to realize that maybe it's not actually all it's cracked up to be. Because he welcomes George Holly and like George Holly doesn't make a nuisance of himself. So he's allowed to talk. And like George Holly is just charm and goodness and light and handsomeness and even more handsomeness all rolled up into one stunningly handsome package so of <laughs> course his company is good company and i think we also see like this change in sean because he's finally willing to risk call right up until now he's been willing like he's put it up with you know good enough like it's good enough that i can ride call mm. but not own him but now he's gone actually i've reached my threshold and i will bargain the one thing that i cannot yeah. bear to lose because the current status quo is no longer tolerable. Yes. I had said before that I wondered what it was about Puck that Sean liked. And it's the bravery. She's so brave. Mm. And I love that he finally admits that she's so brave it makes him ashamed that he's not that brave. Because there was a really beautiful moment where he's like, I thought I had been risking everything. I thought I had been gambling with my life every yeah. single year on in those races. But it turns out that I wasn't willing to risk the one thing that I actually might lose he thinks of puck in that moment she's what compels him to have that conversation with melvin like when he's thinking about backing out he's like no i he remembers puck on that rock and mm. how strong she was and looking like a sacrifice on the killing rock she sees him up there and she's like ba bum ba bum ba bum heart going but he sees her up there and is like oh wow she looks just as terrifying and brutal and amazing there's so much love there or at least attraction you know, that's another place where I saw loneliness is in this budding romance between Sean and Puck because there's loneliness and not knowing what you want, like not quite knowing how to get what you want. So when they're sitting on that rock, yeah. you know, just five feet apart, good social distancing. Five feet and, like, apart because they're looking not dating. At him and, yeah, exactly. And, you know, like they're not looking at each other, but they're having this conversation. And it's just like I had this, you know, I've mentioned it before, but like I had this ridiculous romance when I was in London where I was in love with this guy who I didn't even really know. Like I was in love with the idea of him. And it was... Oh, I remember it was so hard for you. Yeah, because it was this thing about... It was something that I desperately wanted, but I didn't know how or why. And it couldn't be a thing. And I was leaving the country and it was this thing. And I was just like really struggling with it. And there's such loneliness in those moments because mm. it's something that you want. But it's just not a thing. Yeah. Like, it's just not a thing. <laughs> That's what your 20s are for, man. I mean, I learned a lot. Learned a lot. Yeah. And look, because I remember us having lots of good chats at that point. So I like view it as one of the things that made us better friends. So I don't even dislike this guy. I'm like, thanks. He gave me a little bit more of Jen. <laughs> I mean, I've got no regrets about it. I probably should do, but I don't. Nah. Because I've learned a lot about myself. Exactly. It's all in the soup now. It was so dramatic. And I'm here for it. <laughs> here for the drama i think we all have to have some of that right like there has to be some ridiculous dramatic like torrid love affair type thing yeah. we have to do it luckily that's not the case for sean and puck no i like that they have that weird not talking talking thing going on yeah i'm down with that i love that she gives him you know the november cake and 
He doesn't say thank you, but she knows he means it. And then when he leaves, he does say thank you. I'm like, ah, I love you guys. But there's so much chemistry in that, like, that scene, like, that whole sequence. Like, I felt it. I felt. That's why it just reminded me so viscerally of this chemistry that I had with this guy. Because I was like, ah, I can't stand it. Yeah. I can't stand the chemistry. Yeah, it can be like that, right? Like, you just instant connection. But sometimes it's a bad idea. But everybody is telling her it's a bad idea. But I don't think it is. Because I think that the Sean Kendrick they see is maybe the one he's outgrowing right now. But I also think people don't really know Puck. So when Peg talks about, you know, it's easy to make men fall in love with you because, you know, all you need to be is like a poem they don't understand. I'm like, well, that's not very helpful, actually. I don't think that's a healthy way to look at romance. It's probably why Gabe is leaving for the mainland. Uh, Cough, cough. (laughs) I don't think that's who Puck is at all. And it's not who Sean is either. And like the fact they're projecting this onto her and then going, well, he's not for you. I'm like, well, he's not for the idea of what you think she is. But who she actually is, he is for her because she is Thisbe and he is the sea. Yeah. Therefore. Yes, we can see it all. But I don't think Peg Grattan, who hates cooking and hates the cat in the kitchen and is just over it in a domestic sense. I don't think she's a very good Mm. and reliable person to talk to Puck about relationships. No. She's like a bad surrogate mom. Like she's kind of what Puck has, but she's just not being very good at it. Or maybe like a an older sister figure almost. Like, yeah, Peg's a badass, but she's like probably not the person you should be going to for romantic advice. Yeah, I think it's true that she doesn't really understand Puck, but she does support her. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I'm giving you this word of caution, but it's going to land wrong because she's cautioning the wrong things maybe. I don't know. The intention is there. Yeah, I don't think she's doing it to be cruel. I don't think she's trying to make Puck uncomfortable. I think she sees a problem and is trying to address it, but she doesn't really, like, she should be working on the root cause of the problem by, like, sweet-talking the guys, which is what she normally would do. Like, her her tactics are very different than Puck. Puck just really wants to go down and do her thing and have that be what's done, but Peg is used to, like, charming and wheedling and bossing and, like, kind of filling in this, like, sassy girl type thing. Yeah, whereas Puck's too earnest for that. She's too straight a shooter. It's not the mainland, right? Like, there's different expectations. You live your life differently. There's different social norms. Yeah. And she understands those norms. She understands the rules of this. Yeah. She doesn't understand the rules of the mainland, which is probably more Peg's rules. Right? Yeah. Peg can understand those social codes and she can code switch really effectively. But Puck's just like, I'm just who I am all the time. Interesting. The amount of energy that Puck invests in like checking people's expression and weighing them to see what they're thinking really hit me this this reading. Like, I can't mm. see his smile to tell if it's a funny one or not. She has to be able to look at their expressions to figure it out. And I'm like, that's not somebody who's got normal social cues down pat inherently. That's somebody who still has to think about it at 17 or 18. Yeah. I'm somebody who still has to think about it at 36, so. I thought there was something a bit lonely in George Holly in this section because when he comes to talk to Sean and he's like, I'm looking for God, mm. you know, and then at the end of that chapter, he's standing in the field and he's like, I think you're right, Mr. Kendrick. I can feel God out here. What are you looking for, George? What is motivating you? Connection. He's a social creature. Yeah. He loves knowing people. He's like the kind opposite of Benjamin Malvern. Benjamin Malvern wants to run things. George Holly just wants to be in the thick of things. I feel like he just really enjoys people. And he really enjoys people he doesn't know very well. So he's spending his time sussing out Sean Kendrick. And he's enjoying figuring out what makes this particular genius boy tick. Like he's getting a Hmm. kick out of that. I like George. He's good in this section. I thoroughly enjoyed him. Um, there's also obviously loneliness in Gabe, right? Mm. So Gabe's inability to connect with his family because he has this weight on him of just wanting to leave so badly and just not knowing how to 
how to deal with it. Like, I think he's profoundly lonely in that moment. Yeah. And if we read this unrequited love element in it, then, you know, yeah, definite loneliness in that. Gabe's misery just seems to permeate everything. Mm. I feel like he is the storm. Like, even when he's happy, you know, she's she, like, Puck says he's happier than I've ever seen him and he's having a, a laugh with his mates mm. and stuff, but he's still, the discontent is still there, right? Yeah. And also she's mad at him for being happy. Yeah, she yeah. and Finn both have that moment where they're like, if he thinks that this is going to go back to the way it was before, he has another think coming. Yeah. Like, she used to think a word would be enough. And then what is it? She says something. Now, if I don't get a groveling apology, I don't want anything at all. Yeah, that was amazing. I love that too. And I think there's definitely that time in a bad breakup when things have Mm -hmm. gone so badly. And then you're like, you know what? This has put me through some stuff. It's not going to be enough now. Yeah. But also what stood out to me is when she says, like, you know, she asks where Finn is and they say in the bathroom and Gabe's like, oh, you know, he's washing his hands. So it could be like decades or whatever. And she says, Gabe didn't say it like he was making fun of Finn, but it feels like it. Because he's the outsider now. Gabe has lost the privilege to be part of the Connellys. Like he's lost the privilege to make Mm -hmm. that, to say things like that, right? He can't make those comments anymore because he hasn't come home and he's not contributing and he's leaving. Yeah. And he's got this new family. So Mm. get in the sea, Gabe. (laughs) Get in the seat. I was also like, this is a bit unorthodox, but I thought of the Kapalushka and I thought there was loneliness with them as well. Mm. Like they're driven on shore by this storm and, you know, Sean describes them as being uncertain and being more dangerous because they're searching for something. They've been pushed out of their environment onto this land and now they're running around screaming at the top of their lungs. Yeah. And I'm like, they're looking for each other. Like they're screaming to locate each other. They hunt in packs too, which is another thing that like they naturally herd together anyway. Yeah. So it must be quite lonely for them. I mean, they're, they're, murder horses but yeah it's quite a lonely isolating experience for them to be chucked out of the sea so that was kind of my thoughts on loneliness um you had desperation so shall we wade into that oh boy did i ever so i have always thought of desperation as like this action like you are desperate and therefore you act Mm -hmm. it's like you've lost all of your hope and you're just gonna go and do the the most extreme thing to recover or regain or move forward yeah that makes sense. So I, like the idea of quiet desperation still feels like there's some action coursing underneath that quietude, I guess. Um, but I'm a dummy and I had not connected desperation and despair until I visited my girlfriend, the OED, and was like, oh, that's where that's from? <laughs> oh, okay. If you're like me, who learned to read very young and just read all of the time and just picked words up with context but never thought about their like etymology you're in good company I am the same (laughs) so um, I definitely had some fun looking it up but um, one of the things I noticed is that I often use desperately as kind of like a proxy for the word very to be like oh I'm desperately hungry right now or I am desperately tired yeah so to me it's Mm. like the vernacular around that word has kind of shifted meaning a bit so I was looking for desperation in like the reckless action sense not in the very sense but I did find it in a lot of places Specifically, I saw Puck, who was desperate to keep Dove safe, desperate to keep her family safe, and then she Mm -hmm. was, again, desperate to understand Gabe's intentions. So Puck's a really interesting character because she's content with what she has, which is really unusual for, like, a 17-year-old on an island who has no money and not very much food and no prospects. Like, she's actually quite happy with her life. And she even says that she is kind of ashamed that maybe Sean Kendrick won't think she's very ambitious. Yeah, yeah, I picked up on that too. But her desperation to save the house, first to keep Gabe there, and then to save the house and provide for Finn, that has actually given her some ambition that she didn't have before. It's kind of forced her into this growth path. 
So sometimes when you're desperate to get something accomplished, when you're absolutely, without a doubt, having to do something, that can be a real motivator. It can give you the ambition you don't have, which I thought was a really interesting parallel maybe yeah and I definitely think there was desperation as well in trying you know and summing up how she wants to keep Finn safe it really comes through when she's in that lean-to with him and the Kavushka yes. sniffing around and she's like doing the mental calculations of being like well we yeah. won't both be able to make it to the house or when that yeah that horse is going to come back and kill my brother it's not about her she's not worried about her she's worried about Finn. yeah and she's already thinking that the line that got me was one of us might make it over the fence yeah and she's like it's not enough because she knows she has to take care of Finn because Gabe won't like yeah. he's not even in the equation when he shows up it's such a shock because it is a shock <laughs> like she doesn't even realize it's him saying puck that was a very desperate scene yeah. I felt very tense and scared the whole time. Like, they were terrified. And there's a lot of terror and desperation. Like, you have no hope. You mm. don't know what you're going to do. You're kind of pushed into recklessness. And, like, covering themselves with the hay. Like, that's a desperate action. Like, sure, this hay is going to protect you. What are you doing? When they were burrowing into the hay, even though it was a terrible moment, I kept thinking of all the times I would, like, hide under my covers as a kid so that my mom would think I had already gotten up, even though it was super obvious in our super tiny house that... <laughs> I was not awake and getting ready for school, but I was like, if I just hide in this nest, she won't see me and I'll get five more minutes. Like, no, it never works. Props to Dove for being so still. I know, she was amazing. Like, even though she was so scared of the water horses before, like moments mm. before this, like she's already been maimed by them once today and she just is like, mm. On the cliffs where Puck is backed into a corner by those bros. Mm. She's desperate enough to shout for room, but she's so humiliated by having to request that. And it kind of made me think of all the times that I've had to go in fighting for accommodation for various things. Even though it's never been me versus water horses, sometimes when you're saying to a teacher, like, okay, my kid is not going to be able to complete homework. Like, you go in as nice as you can, but you still feel so humiliated that you have to go in mm, and just yeah. say, like, we need this. It, it made me feel for everybody who has to, like, really be their own advocate and who doesn't have a me to go in and sort of advocate for them. I just felt at that moment, like, Tommy should have said something, like... Ian Privet was there just to show the bookies how bad a bet that Puck was. Yeah. And those guys were out there to have a lark, but like they didn't really understand the impact of what they were doing. But as soon as they did, it was like so much worse. Yeah. Like she says, you know, I hear my own voice and it's a sound of a scared little girl, which is everything she's trying not to be. Like mm. they force her to show this weakness. They force her to become what they think she is. Yeah. Through their own actions. That made me so angry because they knew that she was upset, but they weren't, it's like they were being willfully uh, obtuse about it. Like they just weren't seeing it so that they could keep having their laugh. It just reminds me of all the times when someone's made a joke and I've been upset or someone gets upset and then they'll be like, oh, it's just a joke. Like just because it's a joke does not absolve you from responsibility of mm -hmm. the impact of your joke. Like that is not a get out of jail free card. Like I have a colleague like this who gets very frustrated when we don't laugh at his jokes and he's like it's just a joke i'm like but you're not funny it's not no one finds it funny except you star and you're not free from consequences just because you say it's a joke and that's what these bros reminded me of i was just like mm, you need to take responsibility for what you've done here i thought it was very interesting that she described ache paulson as like she described him through how her father described him yeah. Oh, he gets things done and that's a compliment because on Thisbe, people don't get things done generally. Which I thought was like, that's a really interesting thing. And then you see that he's actually this kind of dude bro. Like, not cruel, but just 
deliberately clueless. Yeah, on your point, I think Puck just needs to start trusting. Like, she's not at the point yet where she thinks she can have her own opinions about people. That's how I feel. Like, you know, she's yeah. she's still seeing people through other people's perceptions. And maybe that is a bit of the um, not neurotypical stuff that you were saying before. I don't know. <sighs> so much of Puck is just, like, hyperfixation driven, right? So Puck and her bloody horse. Let's talk about that. That is 100% <laughs> a hyperfocus. She and Dove are the things. Mm. Like, this is what she wants to be doing. She wants to be working with her horse. And then later she'll be working with other horses, as we'll see. The fact that she is so incredibly good at it is not just because she's a natural, but because she wants to be. And she spends so much time inside Mm. of that world. Yeah. The thing that I wrote about the bros on the cliff was that they were changing the rules so that she couldn't win. And I hate that it's a lesson in taking her down or not. It just feels so useless. And it made her act in a way that she felt ashamed of because she didn't like being desperate. She didn't like having to shout for room. And it's also entirely unnecessary. She already knows she's the odd one out. She already knows that she's, like, you know, starting from a handicap because she's not on a kapal and she's got all these things. Like, they don't need to take her down or not. It's completely unnecessary. It's like they're picking these things that she can't necessarily change to pull her up on. Yeah, the injustice of it really burns my biscuit. Yeah. Uh, Another thing I saw a lot of desperation was where she and Finn are talking about what they're going to do if she doesn't win the races. I love that she immediately catches on to the fact that Gabe has underestimated them both. Like, well done, Gabe, you absolute walnut. And you totally did underestimate them both. Mm-hmm. But, like, the thing that really got me there was Finn immediately said, well, if there's an apprenticeship going, I'll take it. I'll learn to bear it. Like, he was like, you couldn't bear being in the races, but here you are doing it. If it takes me getting an apprenticeship to save the house, then I'll do it. If it's a butcher, I'll, that's fine. And then she's like, yeah, I don't want him to learn how to bear it. Like, that's the burden that she carries, right? Yeah, she still wants to protect him and give him that innocence. And, like, I felt that so hard. She's so desperate to keep him safe and not just, like, Mm. physically safe, but emotionally and mentally safe, too. Like, she knows what his triggers are. She knows what will start him picking at his arms or doing the hand washing. Like, she knows these things. And she feels like she's the last Connolly stand who is in charge of keeping him healthy so she's really desperate to protect him but she also won't hide things from him and I love that she finally says something and he goes yeah that's what I thought and there's something really beautiful about that honesty between them yeah and she's just so willing to look after him and in a way that Gabe just isn't like Gabe's just like oh well he's washing his hands and he's gonna be doing that for hours I'm like oh and you're just gonna let him do it for hours like it's kind of like that thing like you can't make jokes about that yeah it's like how you can say mean things about your family, but as soon as someone else does, it's like, um, excuse me. <laughs> or when people start trash talking America, I'm like, have you met any Americans? We are the friendliest people. <laughs> like, I am, I am the first person to acknowledge that my country of origin has so many problems. I will sit here and list them for you. It would take a whole other podcast and like years to do that. But anyone else comes up and they're like, oh, America's terrible. I'm like, is it? Have you been? Well, if it makes you feel better, I always use you as like, because I'm always like, oh, Americans are terrible. And I'm like, but Jen says they're not. So I will give this one the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> and then I'm like, nice to the Americans that I know. <laughs> and they are probably super friendly back. I want to talk a little bit about Gabe. I found his desperation really compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes back for them. And he was like super desperate to get them out of there. 
Mm-hmm. He really wanted to save them. He did not want. He, she was like, "I can ride," and he's like, "You're not getting out of this car until we're we are well clear." He is just not letting her go anywhere else. He gets Finn. He's like, "Wake up, get out of there!" Like he's rude in order to get them moving because he's so scared yeah. for them. And as a person who gets very sharp when she's scared, I completely understand why he was being such a grump. But that is a very desperate act of heroism, and I just wanted to say, like, noted. Yeah. And I also love that Puck is so exhausted and like the adrenaline has ebbed away enough that she can ask him later, like, why did you come back for us now when you haven't been around? Well, yeah, you haven't been around. And also next year it could happen and you wouldn't be here. So like, why now? And he's like, what kind of a question is that? But like, he just doesn't want to say like what the answer is, which is he's had enough and he's desperate to leave. I wonder if his despair of missed prospects and like the misery he feels at home or why he has sought the Grattan's place as like his replacement family. Interesting, yeah. I kept thinking, like, why would he need to go somewhere else? He seems very fond of Tom. He and Peg definitely have some alone moments in the kitchen, which Tommy Falk does not approve of. The sense I get from that, because he has to pin a smile on for everybody else. Yeah. Everybody knows where everything is in the Grattan's house, so they're obviously all there a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. So I I wondered, like, what had driven him away from his own house? What could make him so miserable and desperate that he would want to go somewhere else where he's not actually kin in order to feel that acceptance? I wonder if it was if it started before his parents died or whether it was something that's come out of that grief. Like he needed a surrogate family to, you know, he needed that warmth and he needed to not Mm. be the one in charge and not be the adult. Like sometimes it's so comforting to not have to make decisions, to not be the adult in the room. And because he has to be the adult for Finn and for Puck, because he's the oldest, maybe just being able to go someone else and be a kid. Yeah. It's very freeing. So I don't know. Be told off and be told to like put the cat out and... Yeah, exactly. Have arguments with people about where people are going to sleep because they're all sleeping over. And it's all, none of it's life and death there, right? But maybe at the Connolly house, it is way, the stakes are so much higher because there's so much on the line. Yeah, and I would say Gabe is probably neurotypical. Nobody really follows the rules of what a household should be. Yeah, and the food as well, you know, like, yeah. can have an actual dinner and not apple cake. <laughs> thought it was really funny that Peg was like, I don't cook. That was a little defiance that I really loved, but it seemed performative in a way. Yeah, who was she doing all that for? Was it for Puck? Like, I don't know. Like, they talk a lot about her being grumpy. Thomas Grattan's like, ha, she's grumpy because it's a day that ends in Y. And like, she's feared as being ferocious, right? But she just seems really tired to me. There's something about Miss Potential with Peg as well. It's like, is this my life? Is this all I'm going to have? Yes. Yeah. It reminds me of Eowyn in Lord of the Rings, how she's like, you know, what do you fear? I fear a cage until, you know, use in old age, make me accept it. That's where I feel like Peg's at. Like, she she is in this life, but it's not the life she wanted. Yeah. And she doesn't know how to get free of that. And then she sees Puck, and Puck's just like, well, I'm just going to ride in the races. And she gives her advice, but maybe there's a part of her that goes, why couldn't I have done that? Yeah. I had definitely picked up on some of that, like, weird jealousy-ish feelings. Not jealousy, but, like, you know, you sort of look at someone younger, and you're like, wow, everything is laid out before you. This kid is going to go off and do things that I could have never dreamed of doing. But the only thing that stopped her from dreaming it was herself, right? She accepted and Puck made it very clear early on in the novel that she was like, I could never have a butcher husband. I could never make that sacrifice. Whereas Peg decided, I'm going to conform to what is expected of me and make that sacrifice. Peg's Whereas- pretty young. I think the beach might have been an oopsie. Oh, I see. Yeah. Because she, like, I, I, don't, I can't imagine her being more than, like, 40. Um, it's interesting because if it is like a shotgun wedding, we know that they're quite religious on Thisbe. They all go to mass. Mm-hmm. So you get married when you do... 
a little slip up. Yeah, that could explain her dissatisfaction with everything as well, because she's like, this is not what I intended for my life. Yeah. I do think there's dissatisfaction there, though. Oh, absolutely. She's not happy. She has the irritation and um, desperation, like, when she's being fierce and magnificent, you don't see it. But when she's not putting that on, it's very obvious that she's not content either. Yeah. I kind of love that Gabe has been so desperate to avoid the conversation that he has with Puck that, like, <laughs> she literally catches him when it's more inconvenient for him to leave the conversation. Like, he would have to climb out over all of these people and go sit in a dark kitchen. So he's like, fine, I'll talk. And then they have it. Yeah. And she doesn't get it, but she's able to, like, start to get to a place where she understands why he has to go. Yeah. She sees it for him, even if she can't see it for herself. Like, if he had just said this weeks, months, years ago. Communication, Gabe. Please, we could have avoided all of this drama. Although, if we had avoided it, then would she have met Sean Kendrick? True. She needed this to grow. Yes. The thing I kept thinking about with that was, like, how many times have I built up a block around something that's, like, really easy to do just because I thought about it too much? my entire life yes me too (laughs) like you just push it and then it becomes bigger and bigger it's like a snowball rolling down a hill yeah this is Gabe's snowball yeah because then you do it and it's like oh it wasn't that bad jeez that was not (laughs) what I thought it was gonna be yeah and he's just like he I feel like he just can't deal with how easy it was to actually have this conversation because he's like I'm gonna go to sleep now so (laughs) anticlimactic I love it what a moron um Sean's desperation is really like kind of twofold the first instance of it really coming through is he decides to be brave and go ahead and risk core and he has this conversation with benjamin malvern and my feeling is that the first time he had the conversation with benjamin malvern about buying core he didn't have enough of whatever it was that malvern needed to be able to leverage himself but now he is leveraging himself like he's desperate enough to risk his livelihood and risk core to get core that's a huge Mm. risk that's like Mm. if it's literally the other half of his heart yeah that's very reckless of him. It's very reckless, but I also think he knows that there's power in that as well because he is invaluable. He is the go-to expert. Mm. Melvin, for being a villain, is also not an idiot. He's very canny. So he's playing this game with him being like, oh, don't try and blackmail me, blah, 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 and he's blustering. But he's just he just wants Sean to fold first. Yes, I saw this too, especially after the storm when he goes, have you changed your mind? And Sean goes, yeah. no. And he goes, well, I haven't either. Things aren't, This yeah. doesn't change anything. And Sean's like, yeah, right, buddy. It's a game of chicken, right? Yeah. And Sean's going to win because there's way too much money on the line for Malvern. And not only that, Malvern's reputation. Because these other, these other people are not going to do it. Because look at them. They can't do anything without Sean. Yeah. And Sean was willing to stay because of Core. But he's now at a point where he has to move forward with Core or move away from Core. Because that can't be Core the only thing. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's so heartbreaking, though. And there was desperation in that in the storm as well, with those other groomsmen coming up and being like, "We're not allowed to get you, but please." Poor Daly. It was just like, "I'm so sorry." And Sean's like, "I've already got my jacket. I'm on my way." The desperation to get Core outside without hurting any of the other horses, and also to calm all of the other horses down. That really came through to me. Mm. He was so certain that he had to do this in this particular way, and it did work. But he deafened himself. Like, he probably burst an eardrum doing that. And also, I saw a parallel there with um, Core only having one good eye. I was like, you Mm. guys. There's a lot of um, sort of easily accepted disability on Visby, which I think is really nice. Yeah, well, I guess the murder horses, you know. (laughs) Yeah, you just get used to not having fingers or... Lose half an arm or something. Mm. Or no tail if you're puffing. Poor Puffin. She won't have a question mark anymore. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. 
I think that was pretty much it. I like I had so much marginalia. I was trying so hard to like keep it light. <laughs> <laughs> I was like this line and this line but there's so oh. much good and you had so much good things to say oh thank you oh I think some of my favorite bits were George Holly just being like oh no me say what I'm thinking oh you don't want to hear that but seriously what's going on with you and that girl yeah I I wrote that down I'm like George Holly appreciation club so <laughs> things that I like is like when Sean says this is a small bravery and I respect him for it because he comes down onto the beach mm. with him even though he's like what the hell and he's like, I'm sorry, I've overstepped. It's not my business. Let's go. Pretend I didn't say anything. I'm like, oh, George, you're so cute. He's cute, but he's also very canny. I also love that he said, all I know is that when I whisper to dirt, my conversation are less meaningful. Because Sean's like, it's not magic. And he's like, mm, isn't it? <laughs> it is magic. But like, and Sean even calls it magic, but... He doesn't want to give up his secrets, and I love that he doesn't. In that first day after the festival, um, he was talking about the stone walls, and it said, They long predate Malvern's herds. This is the Thisbe many have forgotten. I really like the implication that Sean actually remembers this. Mm-hmm. It gives some weight to Thomas Grattan's comment in the beginning about him being the oldest 19 he's ever met. Like It seems like he yeah. has a memory that is more inherited than actually earned in some ways it's kind of like being the native inheritance of a land or something you know you have the history of the land the stories of the land Mm. it's something that's just born into you that kind of idea like he's the natural heir of thisby right it reminds me of the memory code by oh i can't remember her name lynn something um but she wrote this book called the memory code but the one she wrote before that was about how stonehenge she thinks is a kind of physical memory palace so all of the things that like if you were to walk around it you could connect like a history with the different stones and the different way that they're shaped because she's done this herself by creating like she just glued shells to a board and was able to like remember all of the Australian birds native to her area in Victoria for example so I wonder Mm. if someone has gone through with Sean and been like remember this remember that remember this like it seems like a lot of those memorized histories are there and present for him yeah and he's putting them into daily practice but where did they come from he never talks about where he learned all of this just that he knows it yeah i've often wondered that as well like is it from his dad or where did he learn this did he teach himself like as a little you know orphan or what's the dealio yeah i don't know maybe he's just always known because he's a theory (laughs) i think you're right he is the c the c knows your name sean kendrick well it's literally in his name i realized that this week i was like oh it's s-e-a-n it's got c right in it c (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh oh my goodness So, is there anyone you want to spotlight this week? Yeah. Okay, don't hate me, but we need to talk about Gabe. As an eldest child, (laughs) I understand all of his emotions so much. I'm sitting there thinking about how I have to tell my siblings that I have to leave for my own good. And it's just so funny that it happened this week that we were reading this bit because I had this conversation with my baby sister who was four when I left home and it was so hard to leave her. Like I felt so guilty. Like it's not you. Mm-hmm. I just remember that feeling of like utter heart-wrenching guilt. And I kept mm-hmm. thinking like Gabe is living this every day and he doesn't have the wherewithal to be like, it's okay if I go. Like he hasn't prepared yeah. anything. He's not leaving them to anyone. And how much worse would it have been for me? So look, I feel like Gabe needs just a little bit of understanding from me this week. He's an absolute dropkick 
most of the time. <laughs> and he definitely has made some choices that I would really like to just sit him down and explain in very short language exactly what he can do with those choices. But I get why he's had such a hard time. So Gabe, you've got to do you. And I get that. Next time, though, let's just talk about it, dude. Communicate. Sit. Use your words. So I think you'll enjoy... um my character spotlight this week oh, because yes. I wanted to spotlight George Holly. Yay! I love him so much. I think the thing that really stood out for me this week with George was just his awareness Yeah. and his kindness. Like, he's just a kind person and he's shrewd, but not in the way that Malvern is shrewd. Yeah. He reads people and, like, for that moment when he pretends to be a stranger to Sean and shakes his hand because he doesn't want to upset the power balance Mm. with Sean and Malvern, like, that's such a calculated move. Oh, it's very good. And I've totally done things like that where you're like, I will protect this person. And for being more than he seems, like, I think Sean says, you know, he's not as vapid as he looks or something like that which is quite mean. George Holly's handsomeness is extremely obvious. He still gets down there and is like, I'll come with you. <laughs> He's like, just... Yeah, I'm really here for that hidden depth. And I think he pushes Sean when he needs to and he pulls back when he needs to. And I think, you know, we need more people like that. Sometimes you need to be pushed and you need to be encouraged as well because George kind of, he gives Sean the courage to do what needs to be done. He's like, you can't just live your life like this forever sort of thing. Yeah. Like, why don't you leverage something? You must have something that you can leverage. Yeah, he's trying to help him find the solution without overstepping. He walks it back every time. But he walks it back because he knows he's read Sean, right? Like he's like, oh, I don't mean to overstep, but he actually did mean to overstep. And I'm like, I really enjoy that. Yeah. I enjoy that soft touch approach while still encouraging people to be their best self. He deserves all of the spotlighting, though. He's a great character. I think it's it's nice that Sean finally gets a friend, like a mentory friend. Yeah, someone who's actually, you know, not out to use him, but just wants mm. to help him succeed. Yeah, and he's having a great time. He says, this is worth every minute of not being home. <laughs> I am looking forward to next week, but like this was so much. I kind of need to like have a lie down. Yeah, it was intense. And it was just so like atmospheric, I think is the word I'm going to settle on. I felt like I felt it. Yeah, the storm was really in and through the whole mm. chapter, not just the environment, but like the people themselves. And speaking of the storm, I loved when, you know, Puck says to Finn, oh, so it's only going to be the day and the night. How do you know that? And he's like, everyone could know that if they used their eyes. He's just like, people and their dumb questions. I like that he's really kind of cross and snarky with Puck. I feel like that means he can be himself around her. They have that dynamic, and I love it. I love Sean. Mm. I want him to just be happy. And so next week, we'll be reading, what, chapters 41 to 52 through the themes of yearning and necessity. Yearning. I'm here for it. Yeah, me too. I love a bit of yearning. I can't wait for next week. Yeah, I can't wait for next week either. It's going to be a good read, and I'm going to be in my new place, and it's going to be amazing. Yay. (laughs) Well, lovely chatting with you. Thank you for potting with me. We do love our chats. Our lovely long chats. <laughs> um, see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. 
Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at www.marginaliapod.com.